0: There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide.
1: Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books. Artifacts. People.
2: This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives.
0: Everyone. welcome back to the Eternity Archives. My name is Dorca and we've got an uh, exciting game planned for you today. We are going to be playing Wanderhome, which is a game without any dice or GM. So we're all going to have a hand in this one. So on that note, we should probably introduce you to my co-hosts. Hi,
2: uh, my name is Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the human office lady.
1: My name is Bappy, my pronouns are they, them, and I play Ril de Jaquel, who is not really a baby anymore, but somewhere in between a baby and an adult. But not a teenager, because they're not a teen either. So, you know, who really knows?
0: Really, Ril Real was never a baby in the literal sense.
1: Correct. They were always an adult. Yeah, that's
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> if Ril were a she, her,
2: Ril would be not a girl, not yet a woman, so to speak. <laughs> hot references for all of the old people out there
0: (laughs) wow uh anyway wonder home is a game about in part talking animal people so for our icebreaker question today we're going to ask who are your favorite talking animals or what are your favorite talking animals
2: this is, was a really hard question for me to decide because I was like going through my mental list. And it turns out I really love talking animal fiction, just a <laughs> lot. Um, and so I ended up on my favorite talking animals are the daemons from His Dark Materials. When I was a kid, I was like, I want one. Where's mine? Um, this is bullshit. I want one of my own. I just love all of them. It's just super cool to have this like little talking animal friend who is your inner self that just hangs out with you all the time. See, when
1: you said daemons, I was thinking like Matt Damon. And I was thinking of like, (laughs) oh, there's just a family of the daemons. You know, it's just Matt Damon's family.
0: We just finished watching season three of that. So I really like that answer. Oh, I'm glad. You have to tell us what your daemon would be, though.
2: Okay, so I go back and forth between like, I want to say it'd be something super cool, like a snow leopard, it would probably be one of those really pretty ball pythons because it looks a little scary and tough, but in reality, it just wants to scream and sleep all the time. And I can relate to that.
1: Oh, yeah. Mood. Big mood. <laughs> I am on the other side of the spectrum and I don't like talking animals in
0: fiction. Wow.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm bad.
0: You're a terrible furry. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Stitch from Lilo and Stitch count as a talking animal because he's like basically a dog, right? He talks.
0: I don't know. Is... I. I'll allow it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. He's he's my favorite talking animal.
0: <laughs> That's a
2: technicality, but I think I think it's allowed.
0: Well, my favorite talking animal. My childhood was full of Redwall.
2: Hell yeah! So, oh, Redwall's good.
0: Yeah, I have read. Well, I had read every Redwall book multiple times over by the time I was like in middle school or whatever. I think a few more came out like after I graduated to more adult books. So there are probably a few out there that I haven't read. But the ones I have read, I read so many times. I still have a few on my shelf waiting for my uh nibblings to be old enough for me to pass those on to them. I, I think Redwall is how Ziva and I became friends. It is. Yes.
2: Yeah. Our first the first time we hung out, we ended up talking about Redwall for like literal hours.
0: I had to confirm because I wasn't it was so long ago that I wasn't sure if that was real or if I had just imagined it so
2: Redwall fever dream <laughs> no that happened I remember
0: yeah we bonded over
1: Redwall.
2: <laughs> that's very cute yeah it's also a good answer especially for wander home which has big red wall energy
0: wander home does have big red wall energy and I would argue big red wall influence
2: Yes. It's it's sort of, well, I guess we'll get into it, but but I sort yeah. of mentally mash it together as like Redwall meets WaterShip Down turned into a tabletop game. So it's a fucking delight,
0: except without any of the uh the violence of either Redwall or WaterShip Down. That's yeah, true. Yeah, Redwall's a pretty
1: violent series, wasn't it?
0: Oh, yes. It's kid violent, but it's definitely violent. Yeah. Yeah. There's a surprising amount of like death in those books. Yeah. But they were all really good, so. But on that note, that's probably a uh, good way to ease into our game. Wander Home is a, as I said before, diceless and GM-less game. It's written by J-Dragon. And it's a pastoral game that's more about the journey than any real story or any final destination. It's meant to invoke like traveling from place to place, very calm, very peaceful. The setting is a world called Haith, which is dominated by small communities of people separated by vast swatches of wilderness. There are gods and spirits everywhere, from the powerful and iconic to the minor and really specifically conceptual. It is a land of animal folk. Everyone there is a talking animal. You know, carnivores, herbivores, the like. But this isn't like a Zootopia thing where they uh, eat each other. They have- They eat each other in Zootopia? Wasn't that like the plot of Zootopia? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you can't
2: have- carnivores and herbivores together because they'll eat each other. I've never
1: watched Zootopia. That's fucked up.
0: Yeah. Well, they won't eat each other. The, the food chain only flows in one direction. That's fair, but... yeah.
1: Oh, that's also like bee stars Yeah, it's
0: basically bee stars
1: Okay. Wow. I never watched Zootopia. Anyway, sorry, go on.
0: <laughs> yeah, Home doesn't have that problem because there are giant insects as livestock, pets, wildlife, and everything in between. Wonderhome is centered around a culture of hospitality where people are fundamentally good. People welcome each other. They help each other. And this is in part because the land was recently at war, but specifically is no longer. There is no violence in this game. There's no combat. You are not meant to fight each other. This is just a game about peaceful people living in peace and doing peaceful things. Hobbit
2: Simulator.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of the media that we consume is like conflict is like inherently violent. So it's definitely kind of a brain teaser to be like, well, how do we play this out where there's conflict but it's not violent conflict. Yeah. Especially since all I grew up on was like shonen manga where it's like very extravagant fight scenes and it's like that's not a thing here. So anime ruined my brain. But <laughs> Maybe
2: we can fix it. <laughs> I was just thinking that, especially in Tabletop, right, that the way that you create and solve conflict a lot of the time is based in violence. Uh, and I'm sure there's like a bigger like philosophical conversation to have about that that is like, you know, outside of my my personal realm of, of understanding or or making a good argument for. But it's just it's a really interesting contrast to like, you're walking down the road and ah, oh, there's a horde of goblins. What do you do? Which a lot of times is the default. Like, how do we move the story forward? How do we give the player something interesting to solve.
0: Yeah, and I think the idea behind Wonder Home is small, minor, everyday problems. Like the kind of problems that people just have all the time. There's a blurb in the book that specifically talks about how like, you know, when you arrive somewhere, you don't know what problems they have. And as a visitor, you're not really expected to solve them. People living there are going to know more about their problems than you do, and they'll probably know better how to solve them. So I feel like in Wanderhome, you're not really focused about moving the story forward. You're more focused about moving your characters forward in a very literal sense. It is a game about travel, ultimately.
2: I really like the emphasis they put on the fact that you're sort of a, a stranger in a strange land, but there there are real civilizations there. There's real culture there. It's a theme that I think could be very, very colonialist, like, right? It could be like explorers coming in and solving everyone's issues. And instead it manages to feel like exactly sort of like the vibe they're going for. of you're like this like pastoral wanderer and you can show up and lend a helping hand, but like Everyone here knows better than you and you will be a part of their culture or you'll be invited to to take part in their culture and their problems in their lives. But yours is not better and you're not there to magically apply something that they can't do on their own. Sort of the opposite of like the big damn hero.
0: So the setting is mostly left vague to allow players to fill in any details. And in fact, the game does facilitate like just stumbling across things. It's setups so that like you, you can really do whatever you want with this game it could be more upbeat and pastoral or it could be more about like recovery from trauma if you if you want to focus on that recent war. And there are options for the game to be more mundane or explicitly magical but again there's no combat system there's also no magic system. all of these things are very uh, abstract.
1: Yeah, like, there is magic, and there's, like, gods and stuff, but it's not, like, written out for you. It's sort of just for you to kind of figure out as you go on this journey.
2: Yeah, it's all very narrative.
0: Yeah, there's a whole playbook that is devoted to, like, you carry around a bunch of these little gods with you. But it's not like they're powerful beings that are affecting the world around you so much. They're just sort of spirits that you keep with you for guidance or that you are protecting in turn. It's very symbiotic. It's very cooperative. And that fits in really well with the the GM-less system, I think. So we've talked a little bit about the setting. And now I'm going to go into the mechanics of Home. This is a rules-like game. It is probably most similar to Henshin, just by nature of like the few mechanics that there are it uses a token system so in this game you gain tokens generally by sacrificing something by pushing out of your comfort zone or by paying attention to the world around you kind of like in heroic Chord we had those discovery rolls that we could make where you were just observing the environment and seeing something cool you're encouraged to do that here too and you get tokens for doing so And once you have tokens, you can spend them to influence the world and solve problems. But as we said, they're not generally going to be major problems. You're not spending a token to, like, save the world or anything. Of particular note, Wanderhome doesn't focus too much on failure. You can choose to fail whenever you like for the purpose of story, but there are no mechanically enforced consequences or conditions that invite failure.
2: I feel like that's such an interesting way to deal with failure. But I feel like as within intention, I'm going to have a hard time with that one. The The drive, even after all this time to be like, no, I have to win, though. That's very hard to overcome. Like I said, with
1: some of the conflict stuff, it kind of goes against what we're used to, where there is a hard line for what failure is. And instead, we just have to decide if we want to fail to sort of move the narrative forward. So it'll be interesting to be in that position where you essentially choose to fail.
0: Yeah, it's like this game, I feel like more than any other game we've played is more like writing a story together than actually playing a game. There isn't a whole lot of game in this game. It really is just sitting around a table, telling a story and talking about what comes next.
1: I tried to play the game solo and that's basically the experience I had. It was just kind of like writing a story and the game or the book gave me prompts to carry me forward.
2: Yeah, I like the amount of scaffolding around how you're making choices and around things about your characters in the world that that exist just just in the book. But yeah, it is very storytelling focused. And and most of the mechanic is just, well, how do we decide what we do next? And how do we decide what that means?
0: Yeah. And so some of the tools that we use to facilitate that in this game are kith and locations, so Kith are NPCs. Kith is a word that means friends, acquaintances, and relations. Kith are created as you learn more about them. I think the game as meant to be played around a table is you're supposed to like write down These characters on index cards so that everyone at the table can like pick them up and put them down as needed. And you just write down information about the people you encounter and sort of create them as you play. Anyone can pick up a kith at any time and play them as they would their character. The game is very specific that like these characters are to be treated with respect and like given their own agency. They're not just meant to be like, stock npcs that just point you in a direction they have their own personalities and their own aims when you create them they're given traits which are one word character descriptions such as cheerful or quiet or adventurous and each one of these traits gives the kith a few actions that they can always do so for an example an honest kith can always lay out the facts as they see it or point out the truth everyone else has been ignoring Or ask, do you want my opinion? And these traits and actions can give you direction for how to play the character, but they can also give you sort of a framework for how to move the story forward. If you and your characters aren't really sure where to go next or what should happen, you can always have one of these kith point out a truth or say something bluntly or whatever it is that their personality suggests that they can be able to do.
2: I really like the kit system. I was having just a super fun time sitting down coming up with these little creatures and how they were going to slot into sort of a very generic world. Like how do I give them a role that gives them personality, but is also hands off enough that we can kind of slot them in anywhere. And um, I don't know, I think it's really fun. Like you just have these itty bitty character portraits. And even just with the few things it asks you, it's it's very easy to like a picture of, of who you're looking at
0: yeah we sort of created a few of these kith ahead of time independently just so that we kind of have a pool to draw from as we're playing this game but it might be the case that at some point we need someone completely different and we might just make someone up on the fly and when you're playing this game like long term you're supposed to just keep these kith and You know, maybe come back to them later if you're ever traveling back in the same direction. But yeah, I think it's just, it's a fun way to keep the story going just by nature of playing these characters. And the other sort of pillar of this is locations, the game is about traveling from place to place. It's about exploration and never staying in one place for too long. So this is a big deal in Wanderhome. So when you travel to a new place, the place gets three natures, which are basically the personality of the location. They're elements that literally or metaphorically represent aspects of the place you're in. Natures are things like farm, or field, or island, and they could represent physical features of the place, or they could be more metaphorical. And just like anyone can pick up and play a kith, anyone can pick up and narrate a place. The book explains it as voicing a place, because as a narrator, you are giving that place its voice. You're sort of speaking for it, not literally, but figuratively. And just like the kith traits lay out common actions, so do the natures of places. So for an example, a market can always describe what you find there, or reveal the consequences of theft, or offer someone something they want at an affordable price and give them a token if they refuse the offer. Nature's often have something that can give a token. They also have aesthetic elements to help you describe the place, and they also each have their own folklore. This is just a short prompt like the crow and the 33 thieves and it's up to you like how much you want to flesh that out if at all but the important thing is that it gives each place a sense of its own unique history it makes every place feel like it's alive and it exists it has existed before you came there and will continue to exist after you leave.
2: I'm just like so taken by just the vibe of this game like this is not specifically related to that particular mechanic but just like there's such a a gentle nature in everything from the setting all the way down to like describing it as giving the place a voice I don't know the vibe of this game just hits me
1: I was just gonna say I just like the prompts and stuff and all the you know work and thought that has gone into it
0: yeah and the book the whole book sort of has that same vibe like this is the most gentle rule book i've ever read this is definitely a game that i could see myself like playing in a little cabin up in the mountains like around a campfire like eating delicious feasts like in redwall it's just such a homey cozy feel so when
2: are we doing that (laughs) (laughs)
0: let's
2: let's do it immediately Yeah. yeah when's our retreat
0: that's the dream honestly so, even though you're playing as these NPCs and these locations, those tend to stay in one place, and if we're going to be traveling from place to place, you need characters. So everyone gets one. Wonder Home uses playbooks similar to Powered by the Apocalypse and other games of that type, and they're character archetypes that are common to the world. There are no stats or abilities in Wonder Home. You're never rolling a dice. You you don't need any numbers. No numbers on this sheet. No math. Creating a character in Wanderhome is really just making a series of choices and answering a series of questions. Many of these choices involve inversions. So they'll ask you to, for example, choose two of these following words that you are and two that you wish you were or two that you are not. So you have to think about both what your character is and what your character isn't. These choices and these questions are introspective, reflective, and open to interpretation. You'll see what we mean when we tell you about ours. And each character has a short list of things they can always do. There are no skills, no abilities, it's just things they can always do. This is meant as a toolbox, it's not an exhaustive list of everything you're capable of, and it's not a decisive way of solving every problem. It's really just a snapshot into who your character is and how you might choose to play them.
2: I love every single character class, every single one. I had an incredibly difficult time choosing what character class I was going to play because all of them have these like little spots of, I don't know how to even describe it, like these like little spots of wonder in them. Like I was going through like, oh, that one sounds fun. Oh, that's so nice. Then I'd scroll to the next one. And I'd be like, that one sounds fun. Oh, that sounds nice. And it was like literally all of them. It's um
0: <laughs> sometimes... This is an extremely Linda game. Yeah,
2: it's a very Linda game. So it's a very me game. Um, but also sometimes you play games where there's character classes that feel like an afterthought. I feel like the dragon game in particular, there's some classes where you can tell that like they were really excited and some classes they were like, eh, shove it in there. We have to just have that one. And this one, it feels like each and every one of them has like an equal place in the world and they have equal value and they're all equally exciting to play. And it's really just a matter of what's speaking to you in the moment.
0: And since there's no maths, since there's no balancing that needs to be done, I feel like it would be really easy to create your own playbook. Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah, I bet there's lots of like fan-made playbooks and stuff like that too.
0: Yeah, I think it specifically says in the book that like, You can find lots of other playbooks online. I
2: love that. I love that very much, both from the just the nature of the game of like, you can create any story you want to. So here's some tools, but feel free to add your own. Um, And also from the perspective of the relationship between creator and community, which um, is a bit of a topic (laughs) at the moment. But I think that it's it's always really awesome when you're reading a game and they're like, you guys want to add fan made stuff? There's lots of cool fan made stuff out there. Go for it.
0: So yeah, no combat, no math, no abilities, but your character can still advance and level up in a way. So Wanderhome is a game about travel and journey and also the passing of time. And the passing of time is marked by five seasons. Each season lasts two in-game months and ends with a holiday festival. It is at these festivals where your character advances in a way similar to Monster of the Week you're given a list of possible advancements some give you another thing you can always do some let you choose qualities from other playbooks some give you new ways of obtaining tokens and some are even like you retire your character you settle down they find a home here but they're all very peaceful introspective pensive options it's just a lot of this game is so introspective but it it is a group game. And so it invites you to be introspective together. This is another therapy game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how they balance, like, how much of this is narrative with actual mechanics. Because, you know, when you think about it and it's just like, wow, this game is so narrative heavy, it's like barely a game. But then they do add mechanics like being able to level up or where you take traits from other playbooks and stuff like that. So it's just an interesting balance to think about.
0: Yeah, and even the seasons kind of have little mechanics to them. Every time you live through one of these months, you like answer a question, and once that question has been answered a certain number of times, like, oh, now you get a leap year, or now there's a frost this season, stuff like that. Like, This is the sort of game that can be played in a single session but is going to be just as rich and just as inviting if you're playing it over and over and over again. You're meant to pass through the time here. You're meant to live in this world.
2: I also really like the way that it handles character retirement. There's always some piece that you carry on forward to your new character, but it's still... We've talked in the past about whether we would consider retiring our archivists, and I had very mixed feelings about it. And if everything in the world was structured like Wanderhome was, I'd be like, yeah, like it's it's time. There's a home here. There's a, a place. There's a natural breath in the story to, you know, set this character aside and start a new one and they get to carry forward now. And I don't know. I just think it's really nice. I think it's way better than character death. And I also feel like sometimes in games that are very like stats and leveling focused, you hit a point where your character is like so powerful, they're boring. And in this one, it's very much like, when do you feel like is the right time to retire your character? What makes sense to you? What what do you feel in your soul? I don't know. I just find it like very charming and very encouraging. You're very encouraged to set a character aside when it's time, but it's not like you hit this point, your character dies and it's over. It's very gentle.
0: The journey is as internal as it is external. Yeah, I
2: wish I almost wish there were like tarot cards as a mechanic for this because I I like an introspective tarot game. So
0: there is a blurb in the book about how like if you're playing this solo, you can use tarot cards to sort of help prompt you.
2: Oh, I need to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If you know, if you ever just want to write a story by yourself. So yeah, let's go ahead and talk about our characters who wants to go first we're animals this time i
2: kind of want to go first honestly go first then (laughs) okay so for linda i chose the shepherd and the shepherd says "Um, herds of chubby bumblebees can be found across the haith and tending to those flocks is simple honest work you are alive your care is measureless watchful and gentle so yeah linda is a, a bumblebee herder which is the best thing i've ever heard in my life i want to herd bumblebees um in real life i'm very After excited wild about this sea,
0: this was her natural development really <laughs> yeah
2: absolutely Hers she's just and a bee mine. lady um, yeah, she's just a bee lady now. Bees are basically insect cats. I guess in this game, they're more like insect sheep. I'm, I'm open to it. But, um, but anyway, I'm extremely excited about this. So for Linda, I chose a peaceful animal, which was on the list for animal types, which I chose as a hedgehog. So for my traits, I chose two that she still is, which is reliable and maternal. And then two, she's just not anymore, which is focused and young. A lot's happened in the Eternity Archives. And so I feel like Linda's carrying some of that sort of distracted energy, her mind's in lots of different places. You can choose some stuff to describe your look, which I think we'll talk about when we actually hit the world. And of course, um, since she's the shepherd, she has a herd of bumbles, and so the bumbles that she can always pick out from the crowd are um, the cutest bumble, <laughs> the most anxious bumble, and the biggest bumble. And those
1: are the same one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're all real. Oh, God. <laughs>
2: Rail is the cutest. (laughs) Um, and then she also has one item that stays by her side, which is a tall crook that reminds her of her mother, and then one item she needs to let go of, which is a bandana that displays your high rank within the Shepherds Guild. Do we want to do the ask one to the left and ask one to the right questions?
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and do that now. Okay.
2: So um, let's go ahead then and do the ask one to the left and ask one to the right questions, which are just sort of developing your characters. Oh, okay. So Linda wants to ask Ril, do you think of yourself as part of my family? Oh, interesting. I think Ril is warming up to that
1: especially because they were slash are very close to their family it's not like their family's dead and being the youngest of the group and kind of having that dependency on other people and Linda sort of being you know like the mother hen type I think Rill has kind of like latched onto Linda a little bit and and can definitely you know see themselves as like part of this little uh, archivist family.
2: So then I think Linda wants to ask Zen, how did I help bring you back when you felt lost?
0: So I think Zen has a lot of unfocus to her. She's really only sure of herself when she is fighting and winning. That's kind of... Her identity is kind of caught up in that. And we've been doing a lot of losing lately, and she's had to grapple with, like, herself in a lot of ways, some of them literal. And I think Linda is sort of this maternal presence that Zen doesn't really have any experience with. And has been missing in her life. And so I think Linda is sort of a grounding influence.
2: Team mom, team mom, team mom. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Why don't you tell me about your talking
1: animal? I want to hear Uh, everything. I can go next. Uh, Let me me scroll back up. So for real, I picked the caretaker. And the blurb that they have in the book here is someone must pay attention to all the small and forgotten things in the world. Someone must listen to the voiceless. You are alive. Your care is tender, supportive and silent. So for the animal, uh, I picked a quiet animal. I picked a sheep for real and I just imagined them as a little animal crossing sheep. And for the traits, the values, it's choose to you value being and two you feel exhausting to be. So the two value traits are gentle and reflective. And the traits that are exhausting for real is uh, I picked masculine slash feminine and expressive. So for the choices that the caretaker has, it's choose up to five friends that hide in the many shrines you carry with you. So I picked three. I don't know how to pronounce this. It's spelled I-A, so I'm just gonna... Aya, I guess something like that, is a god of a misplaced kiss and they are a caring god. I am also carrying a nameless god that's been hurt and I'm offering shelter to. And Dulcet, who is a god of tiny melodies and has some kind of magical glamorousness to it. For my items here, it says choose one ceremonial object you still honor and one you cannot treasure any longer. Uh, So the one I still treasure is a wooden walking stick adorned with feathers and runes uh, passed down through generations. And what I can no longer treasure is a handbook attempting to name all the gods written by a poetic writer I once loved so for asking one to the left and one to the right let's see here Zen, what do you know about the world that I don't?
0: Ooh, that's a good question
1: <laughs> Thank you, J-Dragon for these wonderful questions
0: <laughs> Yeah I think, um hmm.
1: I can go to Linda first if you want to think about it
0: No, it's in my head I just need to make it into sentences Okay,
1: that's fair Just project it into my brain <laughs> I wish we could do that.
0: <laughs> all right, listeners, I'm going to project this answer into oh all. Oh my your god! I mean, technically, that's what a podcast no, is—that's us projecting. Fucking our- crazy! <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm
1: out. I just need to lay down the rest of the day. I can't. That's so nuts.
0: I think Zen knows better how to survive than Real does. Frankly, like mm-hmm. Real is from a generally sheltered upbringing and like like a a very modern society. Yeah, a modern society and Zen is not. Zen knows more, I guess, how to exist in the world and by the world I mean like the wilderness really. Mm -hmm. More in tune with like nature, more in tune with like her surroundings. But I do want to clarify that like Zen is better at surviving but maybe not necessarily at living.
1: That makes sense. Linda! Linda! Do I listen to you when you feel small and forgotten?
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> these are good
1: questions. Thanks. I can't take credit for any of it.
2: <laughs> so I think I think if Linda felt like being small and forgotten with anyone, that it would probably be Ril and Zen. Probably slightly more real because they have maybe more of a- Empathy? Uh, <laughs> it, no, more of like an emotionally open bond. Like Ril tends to talk about how they're feeling more than Zen does. But I also think Linda's very hesitant to show that side of her where she feels small and alone and unheard. Yeah. Maybe in Dungeon Bitches a little bit. Mm -hmm.
1: But it's like she's kind of taken this mother, team mom role, which might stop her from, you know expressing herself
0: allowing herself to be vulnerable yeah. Herself, right
2: you know? yeah so i think i think linda feels like if she was in that position that she could talk with rill and and rill would would do their best to listen and and not be like a, a dick about it mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i do think that linda hopes that she doesn't have to do that very often she's very internally emotional right makes sense
0: do you all like how much of our character development comes from making character <laughs> sheets? That's the whole
2: point of a of a tabletop game with metaplot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like we learn as much about our characters like just doing this than we do actually playing. Them.
1: I mean, that is like a third of our
0: show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, it is Zen's turn. My turn. Zen is the vagabond. The blurb for that is, the world's taken everything from you, beat down on your shoulders, and given you an aching heart. Some people think you're a criminal or a monster. You know what you are. You are alive. Your care is invisible, cautious, and unimaginably deep. Zen is, in this world, a gila monster. I googled coolest lizards.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A gila monster is a cool lizard. Very true. Yeah.
0: So next I had to choose two you call yourself, and choose two you staunchly insist you're not. Zen will gladly call herself a flirt and a monster, and will staunchly insist that she is not a hero, and she is not a liar. Next is choose two crimes you've been falsely accused of, and two you're actually guilty of. She's been falsely accused unfairly accused of wrecking marriages and stealing hearts, and is actually guilty of betraying her kingdom and betraying her family. Next was choose one you carry with you and one that's been stolen from you. What she carries with her is a pink orchid, the symbol of her time with the rebellion, and one that's been stolen from her is a beautiful necklace acquired from an ambitious noble. Some questions. Question for Linda. What do I still have to do to earn your trust? Oh, man.
2: I'd say on the whole that Linda trusts Zen, but I do feel like sometimes Linda feels like Zen is withholding things from her. And the fact that, that Zen has done that in the past maybe has put Linda on edge about feeling like she has the full picture of Zen at any time. So I think... For Linda, Zen would have to really take the time to be like, here is the whole picture, I'm not leaving things out. But I also don't think that's necessarily realistic because I think Zen is very practical um, about what she's willing to share and what she feels like is better saved for later.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's like Zen is very open, but at the same time does have like these secrets and like Real is very quiet and like they have definitely kept secrets in the past, but Rill is very quiet, but like they are also pretty open internally about stuff. So it's, it's just an interesting dichotomy, I feel like.
0: <laughs> it's, it's a good foil. Yeah. Yeah. And to that note, Real, how did we get off on the wrong foot?
1: I think just by being from these different, very different societies, just like Zen has killed people and had to fight, and Rill is an soft. introverted, yes, is introverted and soft and stays inside all the time and doesn't want to kill or do any of that kind of stuff. And, and has that reluctance to move forward with things they need to do because you know like they don't want to hurt other people and sometimes in the situations they've been in people have had to be hurt and I think they're growing to be more decisive probably with like Zen's influence but I'd say that's a way we got off on the wrong foot.
0: Yeah that makes sense. I also we all skipped some things you can always do. I do want to share those just because I think they add a lot of flavor to the class. okay
2: yeah. Yeah let's do it.
0: So some things the vagabond can always do Be somewhere you're not supposed to be. Have something you're not supposed to have. Mutter something you're not supposed to say. Lie. Say, I have a bad feeling about this. And ask, do you trust me? And the other person gets a token if they say yes.
1: For the caretaker, there is pause, tilt your head to the side and keep going. Play with one of your gods. Say something in silence better than words can. Notice a little friend everyone has overlooked. Say hold this, ask, hush, can you hear that? They get a token if they try their best to hear what you do.
2: So for the shepherd, some things you can always do are pat a bumble on its head, stare off into the distance, make an offhand observation that turns out to be correct, rest your back against something and take a moment to breathe, say, they're friendly, don't fret, and ask, can I teach you something someone once taught me? They get a token if they say yes and learn. I don't know why
1: I I thought you were going to say pat a bumble on the butt.
2: (laughs) I mean, if I could in real life pat a bumblebee on the butt, I would absolutely do it. It's probably
1: real soft. It's probably real fluffy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel like those really highlight sort of the flavor of the game and like sort of the abstract ways that you can use your class to sort of move things along. Because, like, these are things you can always do. So I can always, at any point, decide that I am somewhere I am not supposed to be. And then see what comes of that. Again, there's no dice rolls. There's nothing stopping me. And in fact, that's part of the class. It's part of the playbook. It's a staple of my archetype. And I think I think it'll be interesting to play with those and see how it facilitates a story like this.
2: Yeah, I'm both very excited and very nervous because it's been a little bit since we played something that's this free form. Um and so I'm I'm just very excited to see where this game takes us.
1: I no longer know how to play games. <laughs> just in general, just in general, I know no joy in my life any longer. But maybe
2: <laughs> maybe This game can bring back some light. (laughs) Well, it's good to know that if we set down like Candyland in front of you, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? I don't know how to play this. (laughs) What what is this monstrosity?
0: (laughs) Baffy, we played Wingspan together last week. Oh, yeah. That was fun. fun. (laughs) Oh, I just got Wingspan. This has nothing to do with the podcast. I'm excited. It's very good.
1: Yeah. It's about animals.
0: Yeah, it's it's relevant. Everyone play Wingspan. Yeah, we
1: should play Wingspan and learn how to conserve birds.
0: All right. I think we've covered everything regarding the game and regarding characters. Does anyone have any last thoughts or see anything egregious that I've missed? No,
2: I just... No, I think that's it. Yeah, everything. I just want to say that I, I'm really excited about this game. It's got good vibes. And I think we're going to get just about as much character growth as we did during Dungeon Bitches, but in like the gentlest, sweetest way possible. <laughs> in, a, in a nice yeah. way.
0: <laughs> this is... Dungeon Bitches is the Mirror Universe version of (laughs) One (laughs) Woman. All Alright, so I guess there's nothing left to do but play. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So, the library has been quiet lately. You would think it would be the other way around with everything that's happened. With so many new discoveries, new realizations about the nature of this place and who your enemy is. You would think it would be bustling with activity, with people trying to figure it out, with people mobilizing. And it's not like that. It is people mostly keeping to themselves, partly out of suspicion. We know that these other people look like us sometimes, and so there are archivists in the library who don't know who they can trust. So they're sticking to their small groups of close friends, close associates. Some people are just off doing research in private, trying to solve the problem as best they can using the many resources that the library has available. And it also just seems like people are getting sent out on missions more and more often, which means that at any given time there are fewer archivists in the library and more on the ground. So it's been quiet. It's been a little weird. It's been a little uncomfortable. So this is an introspective game that we're playing this time. I don't really care what everyone's been doing. I want to hear about how everyone is feeling and what everyone is thinking. What have you been thinking about since our last mission?
2: So I think Linda is torn in a lot of different directions right now. She's feeling very adrift, which is a place she hasn't been in a long time. She's used to... I mean, one of the reasons that she does perfectly well as an office lady is she likes having a lot of stuff on her plate, but lots of relatively small stuff. She loves working nine to five. She loves coming in and organizing her desk and being told exactly what she's going to be doing that day. Um, You know, and then there's plenty of room to spin off from that, but she likes to have structure. And so not knowing what is going on at any moment and having to tackle sort of these bigger questions than she was originally thinking and needing to understand more about the world and the universe and not really knowing where to start. She just feels very adrift. The fact that it's been so quiet and there's been a lot less opportunities for like book clubs and interviewing people to learn where they're from so she can start piecing together a better picture of the world. All of that has her feeling a little bit uneasy too, but mostly she's trying to figure out where she needs to go next to solve all of these problems. She needs to figure out how to help Zen get back. She needs to figure out how to help follow up some of these things that they've run into on missions that she wants to go back and help with. She needs to figure out if there's a way to get in touch with her family on regular human earth and so she's just feeling very very adrift and honestly kind of alone right now
1: i think rill has been pensive and really looking inwards to try to figure out how they can contribute more and just be more useful especially with like the whole break-in in the library and with the you know the past few missions have involved a lot of people who Like, just these small people who have this huge responsibility on their shoulders, whether it's for a group of people, or for an entire civilization, or what have you, they already felt small, and I think now they feel even smaller. Like, they know they're just one person. But, you know, before, maybe that was from a, like, a depression-anxiety viewpoint, where it's just like, oh, I'm just... I'm just one person, just like, you know, I'm no one. And now it's more like, oh, like, th- this world is so much bigger than anything I know. And so now they're just trying to figure out something to be not necessarily more productive, but just they're trying to find or gather their willpower maybe in a way. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Zen, likewise, she feels like she's found herself in the same position over and over again, where suddenly she has a lot of responsibility that she didn't ask for and does not want. This happened back in her home world, where she realized she was going to be expected to rule a country one day, and so she turned her back on that and ran and started over, and then came to realize that people were going to be looking to her to fight back, and that also seemed insurmountable. And then she fortunately... maybe, found herself in the library, and that seemed like a fun excursion for a while. And now, again, there's this insurmountable threat that she doesn't feel prepared to handle. And it's a little overwhelming for her, and it's very frustrating. Zen doesn't really enjoy problems that she can't solve by hitting, and more and more lately has found herself running into those kinds of problems. And it's hard, and she's struggling, but she's trying to learn how to deal with that and how to, I guess, sort of better herself so that she has other avenues of problem solving. But it's tough to change yourself, and it's tough to grapple with your own thoughts and your own preconceived notions. So since we're all sitting alone with our thoughts, it's probably a relief when the journals finally call us back to action. Our journals buzz wherever they are. They get our attention in whatever way that they typically do. And when we open them up, it's not the words that we notice first this time. It's more of a feeling. When you open your journal, you can almost hear birds chirping and the wind blowing. You can almost smell flowers growing, just the calm of nature. And then out of all of that sensation, you can pick out the words, travel to Haith, and help with preparations for the festival.
2: And that's where we'll pick up next time, here on the Eternity Archives.
0: The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Siva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Subscribe to our Kofi for all sorts of exclusive bonuses, behind the scenes content, and other fun surprises. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
2: Proud member of the Rainbow Roll Network. Rainbow Roll. Our stories our are stories. our voices.